Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. A little later in the program, we're going to talk about the very large package of tax subsidies that the Ford Motor Company is seeking in its efforts to restore Michigan Central Station, move a big part of its operations back into the city in that Corktown neighborhood. Uh, City Council took another step toward approving those incentives this week, but there are a lot of people who are unhappy with that decision and this whole process. They feel like a city like Detroit that is so deeply impoverished and has so many needs for residents should not be spending hundreds of millions of dollars, literally, on subsidies for big corporations. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. We're going to have Raquel Castaneda-Lopez, who is one of the city council people who is opposing that measure with us in studio to talk about uh, what she thinks ought to be done. We will get to that segment at about half past the hour. But first, last year, Republicans passed a massive tax cut that most economists, both liberal and conservative, predicted would plunge the nation into much deeper debt. And this week, those prognostications came true. News broke that the deficit, the annual amount of overspending, has ballooned to nearly $780 billion. But Republicans say, hold on a second, it's not the tax cuts that are causing the imbalance. It's Social Security and Medicare. And the answer must be to cut spending on those massive federal programs rather than restore the revenues lost from the tax cuts. There is nothing new about this game. Republicans have said for decades now that tax cuts don't cause deficits. Somehow they pay for themselves with economic growth. And they have also threatened before to take it out on safety net programs when their tax cuts inevitably fail to generate enough growth to offset revenue losses. But is there something more sinister about this time in our country and our cruel politics and the idea of making the vulnerable pay to restore economic balance? That's where we want to begin the conversation today and here to help us sort through what Republicans are saying and what the impact might ultimately be on the social safety net is Isabel Sawhill. She is a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution and author of a new book titled The Forgotten Americans, an Economic Agenda for a Divided Nation. Dr. Sawhill, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, Good morning. Yes. Uh, So you wrote this week about the ballooning deficit and the fact that it's a problem, especially in light of who is being left behind, which you say is the middle class. What's the way out of massive debt without increasing the burden on this middle class? Uh, It's a very tough uh, issue, and I think that most of us believe we need both spending cuts and tax increases. Uh, You can't do it with just one side of the budget. We've had efforts in the past to try to find compromise. Uh, It's been impossible because Republicans do not want to raise taxes and Democrats don't want to cut spending, especially uh, spending on things like Social Security and Medicare. So we're at an impasse and we just keep going deeper and deeper into debt. Talk about this uh, this this sort of struggle, this tension that exists between the idea of tax cuts and tax increases, uh, between the idea of continuing the social safety net in the in the condition that it is now, or cutting it. Um, 
uh, is there a way to do all of those things? Is there a way to make sure that there's enough money for Social Security and Medicare and to make sure that the tax burden in this country is not higher than most people think it should be? Well, taxes in the United States are are not high by international standards. Mm -hmm. Other advanced countries have much higher taxes than we do, and they have a much more robust safety net, more uh, spending on infrastructure and other public goods. Many of them have universal health care. So we um, are quite stingy in what we provide people, uh, and we uh, are very allergic to higher taxes. I don't want to suggest that the American public likes taxes. Nobody does. But most European countries, for example, have a value-added tax, which Mm -hmm. is just like a national sales tax. And we don't have one. We're the only one of the only advanced countries that doesn't. And if we were to implement that, it would restrain consumption some. It would be evenly spread across the population, and it would increase revenue in a way that would enable us to pay down some debt and fund some high-priority public needs. Uh, so there are lots of good ideas on the table. Another good idea would be to tax carbon. Mm-hmm. That would deal with climate change, which is a big problem in and of itself. Uh, we're seeing all the uh, disasters that have occurred recently that are at least partially, according to scientists, uh, due to climate change. And yet we're taking no steps to deal with it. So we are going to have to you know, tighten our belts a bit, whether on the spending side or the tax side. And what a democracy should be about is finding compromise on both. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Republicans say in order to restore some balance, they've got to take some measures to cut Social Security and Medicare. Um, talk about what they mean when they say those kinds of things. What kinds of cuts might they be envisioning? And uh, talk about what effect that would have on people today and then people into the future. Uh, Sure. I think that uh, very few people, including Republicans, are talking about cutting people's current benefits. Mm -hmm. So those who are worried about that probably shouldn't. Uh, What most people are talking about is slowing the growth of benefits in the future. So if you're a young person right now, you maybe should worry a bit that about whether your Social Security benefits or your Medicare benefits are going to be as generous as they are today. Uh, The longer we wait, of course, the more we will have to um, uh, actually cut benefits of those who are already retired or about to retire. Uh, The sooner we did this, the more we could uh, do it so in a way that just affected people uh, who are nowhere near retirement age right now, and that would be the right thing to do. But we've had difficulty uh, doing that. One way to do this is to um, cut the growth of benefits for the more affluent while maintaining or even strengthening benefits that go to uh, low-wage workers. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are in favor of that. Uh, I talk about that in my book. I talk about putting um, Social Security on a fiscally sustainable basis while actually improving the benefits of people who've earned low wages all their life and uh, increasing the retirement age and 
lowering uh, the growth of benefits for those who have done very well in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what kind of shape uh, overall are Social Security and Medicare in? I mean, we we hear about uh, the supposed crisis that's coming to to social safety net programs. Is that an overstatement, or is that an accurate look at uh, at where we're headed? Well, we're not facing a crisis yet, but uh, we are keeping our heads in the sand by not beginning to take steps now to plan for a more sustainable future. The longer we wait, uh, the more likely it is that we will have to raise taxes to maintain benefits because no one is going to pull the rug out from under uh, someone who is already retired and Mm -hmm. totally dependent on Social Security. So the longer this goes on, the more likely um, we will just have to raise payroll taxes uh, to keep the system solvent. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Isabel Sawhill. She is a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution, author of a new book titled The Forgotten Americans, an, Amer- an economic agenda for a divided nation. Uh, she Prior worked for the Urban Institute. She also served as an associate director in the Office of Management and Budget during the first term of the Clinton administration. Uh, We are talking about Republicans who are now saying that uh, they've got to take some cuts into Social Security and Medicare in order to deal with the deficit, which is ballooning at this point. Uh, $780 billion is what uh, the news this week says it has reached. Uh, Of course, last year we had massive tax cuts passed by the Republican Congress. They said at the time that wouldn't explode the deficit, that growth would compensate for the loss in revenue. That's something they've said before. Uh, This suggests that that is not happening, or at least not happening at the rate they believed it would. What do you think about the idea of cutting Social Security and Medicare? Is that something we ought to do? Should we restructure those programs so that they are more sustainable into the future? And do you think that that's a fair trade-off for the tax cuts that we got last year? Also, call and tell us what you think the effect of this, uh, all of this is on the middle class, uh, people really just trying to get ahead in our society. Uh, They're sort of caught in the middle between the poor, of course, and the extremely wealthy, who were the majority beneficiaries of the massive tax cuts. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Al in Southfield. Al, welcome to Detroit Today. Okay, first of all, I'm going to say this. I, I got two questions and a comment. Okay. Well, First of all, it's ridiculous, okay? Is it true that certain people with certain income uh, amounts per year don't even pay in Social Security? Is that true? Like 200000 don't pay anything towards Social Security? Um, okay, well, let's start with that yeah, question. It's true. It's true. It's true. What you do is open this whole thing up. Anybody making any kind of money will pay in Social Security. Mm-hmm. I get sick and tired of these people saying things like, it's an entitlement program. No, it's bull crap. I put money on my paycheck and a fund. To help them out retire, I should get my money. As far as increasing to 70 years old, that's ridiculous, too. We should mirror what these guys' office uh, are about. If they're getting free health care, 
if they get all this money uh, as far as our retirements, our programs, it's the same thing that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Not exactly the same amount, but I get sick and tired of these folks being treated like they're better than us, the common folks on the street. Yeah. Al, yeah. Al I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, I first want to start with uh, your idea that some people don't pay into Social Security. Uh, Dr. Sawhill, uh, address that for us. Sure. Um, well, everybody, almost everybody, does pay in, but the caller is absolutely right that it's not very fair mm-hmm. in the sense that there is a cap on the earnings that are subject to payroll taxes. And above a certain cap that I think is around a hundred and $25,000 a year, something like that now. Um, I don't remember the exact figure, but it's in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody pays Social Security taxes. So one proposal has been to raise that threshold. Why shouldn't everybody pay into the system according to their income mm-hmm. or their earnings? And that would raise quite a lot of revenue, and that would help to make the system more sustainable. So that is a viable uh, option uh, in addition to doing things like raising the retirement age, which the caller um, doesn't like, and, mm-hmm. and I understand that. Um, isn't it also true, though, that uh, people who earn money in ways other than salary, uh, wages, uh, also are exempt from Social Security? So, for example, uh, if you're somebody who lives off of dividends of investments, uh, those are not taxed for, for those purposes either, right? Uh, that's true. Uh, if you don't have any uh, earnings, if you live entirely off of unearned income, uh, you would not be paying into the system. Absolutely yeah. right. Now, you have to ask, where did you get your your unearned income from? Was it from a big inheritance mm-hmm. um, or just a saving over your life course? I do think that one good source of revenue for the future uh, would be the estate tax. We have a very wealthy set of baby boomers who are moving into their retirement years and are going to be leaving large amounts of money to their children. Mm-hmm. And we have in the recent tax bill um, that was passed just last year almost eliminated the estate tax. And so wealth is going untaxed for that reason. It's also going untaxed because the tax on capital gains is much, much lower than the tax on earned income. Mm -hmm. So we do have a system now that favors people who earn their money from assets or from financial capital uh, rather than from working. And in my book, The Forgotten Americans, I really argue uh, quite strongly for returning to a focus on work, on jobs and wages, and on treating people with earnings, particularly those in the sort of bottom half of the earnings distribution, far more fairly than we do now. Mm -hmm. One thing I suggest is that we could Uh, provide a tax credit that would basically offset and and thus eliminate payroll taxes for people in the bottom half of the earnings distribution. Uh, Again, Al, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Jack in Detroit. Jack, welcome to Detroit today. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing all right. I've noticed that in a lot of these discussions about economic policy, there's a lot of emphasis on the middle class and a lot of emphasis on spending for um, 
medical coverage and stuff like that, but there isn't enough criticism on things we are already spending on where all of the funds are being wrongfully distributed, at least excessively distributed, such as the military and security and all sorts of other stuff. And I feel like one of the major things that we can do to solve wealth distribution is, or sorry, where our money goes is get a lot of the funding out of the military and stop spending money on failed fighter jets and other stuff that we really don't need. Hmm. I mean, the U.S. already dominates half of the planet. Why are we spending so much money on keeping that domination, Mm -hmm. especially when half of the world doesn't want us there anymore? Jack, uh, I appreciate uh, the call and the comments there as well. Dr. Sawhill, uh, talk about the spending on Social Security and Medicare uh, in comparison to other things in the budget. This is something we hear uh, a lot as well, that, that why are these the first things uh, that people think of when they want to cut spending instead of something like defense? Well, Social Security and Medicare are very large programs, and they are where most of our tax dollars are going. I mm-hmm. mean, they are uh, getting to be close to half of the budget, and they are more important uh, just in dollar terms than what we spend on the military. But I would go back to uh, the amount of money we gave away in last year's tax bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason why we have to uh, reduce taxes on corporations uh, to such a low level. And those um, tax cuts cost us uh, somewhere between $1 and $2 trillion over the next decade. That's a lot of money that could be put to better use, in my view. The uh, argument is that corporate tax cuts, which is mostly what this was about, Mm -hmm. all of the taxes, by the way, all the tax cuts for individuals are are temporary in the bill. So over time, the middle class is actually going to pay more taxes, not less, under this legislation. Now, I'm thinking that it may be uh, amended or revised uh, between now and the time Uh, all of these uh, provisions go into effect. But if we want to find some money to shore up Social Security, Medicare, or anything else, including the safety net, by the way, that would be the place to go. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting historically that Ronald Reagan cut taxes so deeply uh, and ballooned the deficit that within a few years, people looked at that situation and said, well, that's just not... Um, sensible, and it's dangerous for the economy to have so much debt. And I think we're going to see a similar situation here, and we're going to have to turn around and recoup some of that money that we gave away last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, Let's go to Brett in Ypsilanti. Brett, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. uh, First of all, thanks for... um, being here, um, I guess I everything you're saying I think really resonates with somebody who's in their 20s and sees. Uh, well, I guess it, it just seems like a high degree of selfishness on the part of a lot of our politicians. And I wanted to ask about this in regards to a um, kind of like the time scale of getting reelected. It seems like politicians just do something that will look good in one or two years and then don't really care what's going to happen later. Like you mm-hmm. said, with the um, middle class tax that's going away. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned climate change earlier, and I look at this as another kind of booming issue. 
that people just don't want to spend money on now. And I wonder how much of it is just human kind of selfish tendency and inability to think about long-term kind of strategy. Um, and especially on the part of Republicans when their job requires them and all politicians to get reelected. Sure. Um, do you see a lot of this happening or do you think that's an issue? Brett, uh, I really appreciate the call. Uh, and the questions, uh, there is something, I think, peculiar or particular about the time in which these debates are, are taking place, Dr. Sahil. It, it does seem as though uh, uh, politicians' outlook on these things is is a little uh, less, uh, uh, well, it's, it's a little less focused on the future than it is uh, on the on the present. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think um, our elected officials have been extraordinarily short-sighted. Uh, climate change is a wonderful example of that. Uh, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say wonderful. It's a terrible example, but uh, it is definitely due to our short-sightedness. And then there's the debt that we've been talking about, which is also uh, unsustainable, and it's irresponsible to let it to continue to grow. Then there is um, our failure to address some of our infrastructure issues, some of our issues in K through 12 education, uh, not to mention the fact that we have an unprecedented level of inequality in America now. And that's beginning to have, I think, some political ramifications that are worrisome. So uh, yes, our pol politicians are very short-sighted. And I do think we are going to need more people to begin to protest against that through the ballot box. And also, we may need some institutional reforms as well, mm -hmm. gerrymandering, money in politics, all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of your writings, your concern is about this widening gap between uh, top income earners and everybody else uh, in the piece you wrote. Uh, this week for Brookings, you talk about the incomes at the top 20 percent rose by 97 percent from 1979 to 2014, over twice as much as middle class incomes. Uh, this narrative that unfolds with tax cuts and then cuts to the social safety net, uh, I think, are, are very closely related to the things that you're talking about. I think that's right. And I and I do think um all of the conversation now about because we have these deficits and debt that we created by an irresponsible tax tax cut means we should therefore begin cutting programs for low-income and middle-income Americans is uh, a, a very cynical uh, move on the part of elected officials. Uh, to say, you know, don't blame us, uh, blame these uh, growing programs. And those programs, by the way, Social Security and Medicare, they're mainly growing because we are aging as a population, and we can't do anything about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's not as if uh, when people say spending is out of control, uh, what they mean is that we have a demographic trend in this country uh, that is not, it's not out of control. It's just uh, because people do age. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's going to 
that's going to balloon the cost of these programs, especially health care. Uh, Medicare is a, a bigger issue even than Social Security. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Bernadette in Redford. Bernadette, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sawhill suggested that people work longer. I am a boomer and will soon be 65. It doesn't seem that employers are eager to take advantage of the skills and experience that an, and dedication and loyalty that older workers possess. Mm-hmm. I can't find, I, I haven't worked in six months. Employers prefer younger uh, workers that they can pay lower starting salaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernadette, that's a really that's a really great point. I'm glad you called. Uh, made that this idea of uh, one way of dealing with the underfunding of Social Security is to uh, suggest that people work longer does kind of fly in the face of the hiring practices, I guess, that we see in some of corporate America. It's not just uh, that they're uh, not valuing experience and things like that, but that they talk about the cost of Older workers, uh, they, they tend to earn more than younger workers uh, and and have more health care costs sometimes. Uh, how do you balance that, uh, Dr. Sahil? Well, I think it is, I think it is a balancing uh, act. And I think that right now, with the labor market being as tight as it is, with unemployment being very low and companies uh, struggling to find workers, um, there should be more opportunities for older workers. Uh, many employers uh, prefer older workers because they have the experience and the maturity that younger workers don't. So I don't think it's always the case that the higher cost of an older worker or our preference for the young is going to dominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be a mixed picture. And what we have seen in the data is that more and more people are uh, staying in the workforce longer. And so uh, clearly people uh, do prefer that or have to do that for financial reasons. And I think over time we'll adjust to that. Also, the economy is shifting to being a service-oriented economy Mm -hmm. with more service and white-collar jobs, fewer jobs in, say, manufacturing, and older people are better able to do uh, those kinds of jobs. Okay. Uh, Dr. Isabel Sawhill, Senior Fellow in Economic Studies at the Brookings Institution, author of a new book titled The Forgotten Americans, an Economic Agenda for a Divided Nation. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Up next, we're going to talk about Ford Motor Company seeking massive tax incentives to rehab the old train station here in Detroit. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We will be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.